Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. What's going on around the country in the legal system? Is the legal system becoming more accessible to consumers? Oh, we only hope. Well, we're going to find out some of the things that are going on, some good, some, well, marginal. But my guest today is Tom Gordon. He's the executive director of Responsive Law, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to making the legal system more accessible to consumers. Uh, We've worked with Tom for many, many years and delighted to have you, Tom. Welcome to Of Consuming Interest. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Now, I was just at your website and give everybody the uh, address for your website so they can go check out some of the interesting things as well. Sure. We are at responsivelaw.org. Responsivelaw.org. Easy. But anyway, get back to the good stuff and some not so good. Um, I I want to uh, talk about a little bit about a recent decision from a New York court um, which had to do with volunteers that were giving leave with, well, there was a little case against them. Would you put that into frame, frame it for us, Tom, what was going on there? Sure. There is a, a nonprofit organization called Upsolve that has for a few years now been providing uh, bankruptcy information to people, um, you know, in that the uh, founder of Upsolve, a gentleman named Rohan Pavlori is very passionate about these things, as am I and as are several other people working on these issues. Uh, This pointed out several times, this is a huge civil rights violation. It's akin to a poll tax that you have to hire a lawyer to help you with bankruptcy when you don't have any money, which is why you're filing for bankruptcy. Um, And so his company is now trying to train, wants to train people to give uh, competent advice in bankruptcy who are not people who are not lawyers. They've got uh, Reverend and some other folks who are active in the community who they would like to train to be bankruptcy advisors to people who can't afford a lawyer. And uh, they filed a lawsuit in the uh, federal courts in New York saying there was a First Amendment violation because these people were not allowed to give legal advice. They weren't asking to represent people in court. They just wanted to give people information and advice about their legal rights in the bankruptcy process and tried to level the playing field. And this federal court in New York uh, agreed and granted an injunction against the New York attorney general saying the attorney general may not prosecute these folks for the unauthorized practice of law within this program. Oh, I love that. Because, you know, you're absolutely right. It's so ironical. Oh, you got to go hire a lawyer to, to do your bankruptcy for you. Crazy. I mean, they don't have money to begin with, and that's putting you further in debt. It just doesn't make a whole lot of whole lot of sense. Um, and I congratulate the federal court in New York for, for making it what I consider to be a reasonable decision. We're not advocating taking uh, people out there practicing law. I think what we're advocating, and in this case, what uh, Upsolve is advocating, is simply practical advice to guide people through a very painful process and uh, makes a whole lot of sense to me. So anyway, I think that's a cheers for for the legal system getting some access there. Uh, is that program available in other places, Tom? No, in fact, it was a very limited ruling by the court. Um, Upsolve does provide some information that is not considered legal advice, and I certainly inv- uh, would welcome people to check them out. I know they do really good work and have helped thousands of people. But uh, as far as this particular program, in terms of training bankruptcy advisors who aren't lawyers, it was limited just to this, just to New York and just to this particular program as it was uh, outlined in the lawsuit. Yeah. But is there other 
are there other places that people can go who are facing bankruptcy to get to help? Um, you know, there's there's information on the web in a lot of uh, a lot of places, and uh, you know, I think Upsolve would be a great place to start to get that information. I think yeah. really that really the best place if you're dealing with the bankruptcy process. Um, like I said, they're a nonprofit. They're doing this for all the right reasons and you'll and you'll certainly be getting reliable information from them yeah. and some guidance on where to go next, even if you're not located in New York and can't take advantage of their program they're about to start. Sure. Well I yeah, that's that's a good place. And then that might provide you some resources in your own community. Um, I think that's a that's a great idea. Now there was not such a great victory in California. The trial uh, bar there kind of got a victory about legal help for consumers. Would you want to walk us through that? Sure. This is one um, of the things that actually occurred in 2021, I believe. It's actually a, it's a continuing story, really. So um, what happened in California, uh, to walk this back a little bit, one of the things that California is looking at is uh, the State Bar of California, which is the regulatory agency. This is confusing in terms of the nomenclature. The State Bar of California is the regulatory agency that governs lawyers. There's a separate organization, the California Lawyers Association, that is the trade association for lawyers. So when I say State Bar of California several times in the next couple of minutes, I'm talking about a regulatory agency, albeit one that okay. is made up of a majority of lawyers. Uh, so the State Bar of California had um, appointed a working group to study uh, they called it the Closing the Justice Gap Working Group, and it was supposed to study uh, alternative ways of approaching the uh, approaching the lack of access to legal help in California. Um, specifically, this group was looking at what's called a regulatory sandbox, where certain regulations could be uh, loosened in exchange for additional monitoring of businesses that are operating within that sandbox. Um, so what this would mean in California, uh, what this was generally is meant in the legal context is getting rid of restrictions on who may own a law firm or who may invest in a law firm. Um, so not about anything about who may provide legal services, just about the business model that a law firm or legal services provider can undertake. Um, and so uh, this was moving along and there were actually, there was actually a good deal of support for this proposal in the working group. Uh, but what happened was the uh, trial lawyers uh, associations in California got wind of this and there was a letter sent from the uh, chairs of the state judiciary committees, the uh, Senate and House Judiciary Committees in California, uh, basically threatening with language very similar to that used by the trial lawyers and other things they'd written uh, to cut funding for the bar and other uh, nebulous consequences if the working group didn't take a step back. Uh, and so... Uh, so they, um, the, their, the committee was put on hold for a little bit while they figured out what to do. And this working group, ultimately, uh, we worked with some other groups. And what has ultimately come out of this as a result of uh, the efforts of a large number of organizations, including ours, is uh, a change in the makeup of the working group and a slight change in its focus uh, and its structure. But uh, unfortunately, what happened was a few of the folks who probably viewed regulatory reform more favorably are no longer on the committee, but the committee does still live and uh, just had their first recent meeting uh, last uh, earlier yeah, earlier this week. Just had a meeting um, of the working group for the first time in a few months, so we're still hopeful that this may move forward and come out with a useful proposal for people. 
Well, that that would be a, a big help to consumers, and let's let's hope that something good comes out of that. And congratulations on your work on it, Tom. I know you you've worked tirelessly on many of these issues around the country. Um, there's there's uh, Florida always seems to be in the mood to protect its lawyers. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of um, good things there that we can set about the bar loosening up and and uh, so on. But before we talk about Florida. Uh, which I love the state, by the way. Um, let's take a brief pause here. Let our listeners know they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. You're listening to Of Consuming Interest right here on the Federal News Network. Uh, my guest is Tom Gordon. He's the Executive Director of Responsive Law, which is a nonprofit organization that's fighting to make the legal system more accessible to consumers. Uh, we're not trying to take away the lawyers' jobs. We're just trying to make it a little bit easier for consumers um, to do some simpler things in, in the law. And there was a, a interesting ba uh, thing that happened in Florida, which was an app, and I don't know how it works, so maybe you can explain that to us, that would help fight traffic tickets. Mm -hmm. And I gather Florida lawyers have had that banned. You want to fill us in on it? Sure. So this, uh, again, is a, another one of those stories that goes back a while. Um, there was there's an app or was an app in Florida, a company called TIKD, T-I-K-D. Uh, it was an app to help you fight your traffic ticket. And what it would do is you could go into the app and scan your traffic ticket. Um, and it would then, basically, if you had a $100 ticket, it would say, for example, you can pay us $75 and we will get you a lawyer who will represent you. You can get in touch with them if you want, but you don't have to. They can take care of it without you. And if the lawyer wins the case, then uh, we will keep the $75. That's $75 profit for us, but you're still paying less than you would have for the ticket. If the lawyer loses the case, then we'll make up the difference and uh, pay the whole $100 that you would have owed for that ticket. And they've been able to really go in and crunch the numbers so that they could make basically everybody won. That ticked made some money. Lawyers who were fighting traffic tickets were able to get cases in large numbers because they were coming through uh, through this app. And consumers were huge winners because they could pay less than they might have otherwise uh, and didn't have to go through a lot of hassle to hire a lawyer individually, which would have probably cost them as much as the ticket in the first place. So the only people who didn't win were the existing uh, traffic ticket fighting firms. And there was one firm called the Ticket Clinic which had been the uh, you know the leader among uh, basically had made a name for itself in Florida as the place to go if you need a lawyer for help uh, for help with traffic tickets, and they were obviously unhappy because someone had figured out a better way to do this business, so they ended up uh, convincing the Florida bar to uh, go after the uh, ticked app for unauthorized practice of law, saying that they were creating a law firm, and I talked before about that issue of ownership. They were saying because there were non-lawyers uh, involved in this business and making money off of it, that they were engaged in the unauthorized practice of law. Um, and <laughs> Even though the court said they were providing a valuable service. <laughs> right, right. So the this case went uh, just before the pandemic was heard by the Florida Supreme Court, which took uh, about two years to rule on it and just ruled on it, uh, I guess, oh, about, it was late last year in October, finally ruled on it and uh, had this, crazy decision where they said, you know, this is a really, really valuable service. We see nothing to see that it's harming consumers in any way. But the rules about unauthorized practice of law are very clear that we have to say this is not allowed. And uh, the ironic thing about that is that 
guess who makes the the rules about unauthorized practice of law in Florida? Ooh, the Bar Association. Actually, even better. It's the Florida Supreme Court. Oh, really? Uh, so, oh, good Lord. So, so we're saying, saying, okay, when they do ruling, we don't agree with it, but we're going to enforce it anyway. Right. And they're saying, okay. basically, we don't like the rules, so but we have to enforce them. If you want to change the rules, you have to talk to the people who make the rules, which, by the way, is us. It's us. <laughs> That kind of goes around in a circle, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> that's, re that's really bizarre. <laughs> well, uh, other things are always happening in Florida. I know they've had lawsuits against paralegals and all kinds of things that are going on down there. Um, what are some of the other issues? Now, one of the things that, that I know that we've talked about in the past, um, and this is the non-lawyer ownership of law firms. Mm -hmm. Which, until you told me about it, I didn't realize that that was the case, that in order to own a law firm, you had to be a lawyer. What's going on in that field now, Tom? And give us a little background. Sure. This is a really important issue that most people surely don't know anything about. Even a lot of lawyers don't think about it, even if they know the rule. Um, so taking a look at you know really any segment of service or goods in our society, anything that consumers are getting, there's usually somewhere, there are small companies that provide it, but there's also larger companies that provide it. So if you want, you know, for instance, help with your tax returns, you can go to an individual accountant and get help, but you can also go find H&R Block and get very standardized uh, help at standardized rates and it's easy to find around the country. You can use TurboTax software. Uh, you can do a lot of things that are helpful with your taxes. Um, if you want your, if you want an oil change, you can go to your local mechanic, but you can also go to Jiffy Lube. Um, so there's all sorts of different options out there. In law, though, uh, the only things you'll see if you're doing, at least if you're doing, uh, trying to get help from what we'd call people law. So things like uh, writing a will or handling a divorce or other family law matters or things that people deal with every day, not large corporate matters. Yeah. When you're dealing with those things, uh, the largest firm you'll find is if it's a huge firm dealing with those sorts of things, it's a dozen attorneys. Usually you're dealing with sole practitioners or just a very, very small firm. And because of that, you don't have national brands that are built up. You don't have uh, the economies of scale that you get in other areas that make things more affordable. So you have this disconnect between, um, you know, these huge, these high attorney fees, but also you've got a lot of lawyers out there that are coming out of law school and are very underemployed. And you've got to wonder why that happens. Part of it is that there's no mechanism to match those things up. So people can't get affordable legal help because the corporate structures aren't there to uh, get it to them. And the reason for that is this it all goes back to this uh, restriction on non-lawyer ownership of law practices, that you can't have the H&R block of law firms because no company can invest in that. So the only way that could come up is if lawyers took money out of their own pockets or got a bank loan, neither of which is going to operate on the scale that you would need to have a sort of national or even large regional provider of consumer law services. Well, what you're looking at is an H&R block for people who need law, law help. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's where, you know, that when I talked before about that California uh, working group dealing with a regulatory sandbox, that, mm -hmm. it's that restriction that they're trying to lift. And if they can lift that in a state like California, you would see a lot of large providers start to provide more affordable, scalable legal services in the state. Well, and this would take care of those young practitioners who need a job. Mm -hmm. who need clients. So it seems to me like that would that could be a win-win all the way around. Um, mm -hmm. And then giving people, I suspect that people would be more willing to contact a lawyer if they felt they could get it at a price that many of us 
can't afford some of them Absolutely. we just can't afford it so I, I understand the reluctance of people, but they may have, maybe they need a lawyer, but they really don't get one because of the cost. So anyway, another thing that happens is that people don't even know that there's a legal component to their problem. Uh, right. So they, and if you have a larger company, then they're going to let you know that, uh, that you're supposed to get legal help for a certain thing that that's sure. an option. Sure. That makes sense. Makes I mean, absolutely I'm not supposed to get my oil changed every few thousand miles is because there's a jippy lube jingle that got yep. stuck in my head telling me to do it. Right. Well, let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned into of consuming interest. You're listening to of a consuming interest right here in the Federal News Network. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Tom Gordon. He's the executive director of Responsive Law, which is a nonprofit organization that's fighting to make the legal system a little bit more accessible to consumers and so that we can get some help when we need it and not take away from the lawyer's job, but really just expand the access uh, to services. And we're just talking about the ownership of law firms. There's one thing that I've always could not understand, and maybe I guess I should because the lawyers probably control it, but why the small claims courts have such low limits, Tom? Mm -hmm. I mean, some states, I don't think, have raised their small claims courts limits in years. And of course, we know that's not practical. Um, what's going on there? I, I, you don't need to give us a whole big lot, but I'm just curious for our listeners who may be considering using small claims court. Are they going to see any um, raises in the rates and some of the, and it's a state by state thing, isn't it? Right. Each state controls its own state court system, including uh, what the jurisdiction is of its courts. And in most states, small claims court dollar limits are down below five or ten thousand dollars, meaning if you have a case worth fifteen thousand dollars, then you cannot bring it to small claims court. You'd have to bring it in a court where the lawyers are going to dominate. Because that's what the law says, right? There's a limitation by the law, not by the person who's doing it, who is saying, well, I can't handle this because it's too much for me. Um, right. Okay, right. so it's, it's set. Limit. the limit is set. Okay. Right. Right. And so if you have a case more worth more than that, the court will say, no, you can't bring that here. You have to sometimes you can chop off part of it and bring ten thousand dollars worth of your fifteen thousand dollar case, but uh sometimes they'll say, No, you can't even do that. You if the case is worth more than that, you have to bring it in the lawyer court. Well, that certainly makes it uh, a little bit difficult for consumers who really don't want to get a lawyer. But and you know, if you've got a claim that's fifteen or twenty thousand dollars, I mean, by the time you get a lawyer, and unless you find them to take it on a contingency basis, it's going to cost you an awful lot of money. I suspect there's a lot of things that go by the wayside simply because of uh, that. What are some of the other things that you're working on, Tom? That you that are in the your in your headlights right now. Mm -hmm. We are also, in addition, you know, California has, as I mentioned, the closing the Justice Gap Working Group, looking at changing the restrictions on lawyer ownership of, of law firms, yeah. and mm -hmm. we also have a uh, paraprofessional licensing working group, which is doing a is a little further along than the uh, the other working group. And this group is looking at a licensing scheme for. Uh, paralegals to work directly with consumers uh, so that they would be able to provide services directly without having to pay for a lawyer. You would presumably pay less for a paralegal, but probably get someone with as good or better uh, skills for the problem you're dealing with in the area of law that's uh, under consideration. Wow. And and that's in, is that state by state? I guess it is. Yeah, this is, well, we're looking at, uh, there's proposals in several states or at least several states have started to look at this. California is Right now, one of the ones that's furthest along uh, in 
in the process and of the ones that are considering it. And they're looking at a pilot program uh, for this again, just for California, uh, which would allow paraprofessionals to work directly with consumers in a few specific areas that are useful to consumers. Um, so in terms of family law and um, debt collection cases and other areas, uh, landlord tenant that are really the types of things mm -hmm. that consumers most need help with. Yeah, some of these consumer issues that that really don't rise to the level of really needing a lawyer, but um, sometimes you have to you have to do it, and and that would be a wonderful to be able to get a paralegal who probably specializes in let's say landlord tenant issues. So um, that would that would be a great help because that is a big problem area. We hear a lot about that at Call for Action, so that would be extremely helpful. And of course, the small claims limits would be helpful if we can get those raised in the various states. But um, yeah, I like I like the idea of that. And you know, I should say, Tom's a lawyer. My husband's a lawyer. I we're not anti-law. We're just out there to try to help some consumers, because oftentimes it's the cost, isn't it, Tom? That mm -hmm. so gets in the way of people getting legal help. Right. It is. It's the cost. It's also, frankly, the the type of service you get. Like if you are facing a landlord-tenant matter, you do not want to come to me. I'm licensed to help you with that in D.C. and in Maryland, but you do not want to come to me. Uh, who would, you know, among the people who do a much better job at that are paraprofessionals who are working in that area. And sure. would give you much better help, only they're in most places not allowed to give that to you. Right. They have to work under the, the uh, supervision of a lawyer, is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, so that just really means the fees are going to go up and you have to consult the lawyer first. Uh, where else are we going? What are some of the things you see happening? Um, you know, we are, um, you know, like I said, we're monitoring the that Upsolve case, the bankruptcy uh, case very closely and trying to figure out mm -hmm. where that's going to go next. We are uh, almost certainly uh, going to get involved if that goes up on appeal. We're watching to see if the uh, Attorney General of New York is going to do that, and we will be uh, very involved in that if it does move forward up to the uh, up to the circuit court. Okay, um, and, yeah, that would be very interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know we're continuing to monitor, really monitoring what's going on in every state. And of course, if people uh, hear about something in their state that's um, that's of interest, where they have a policymaker they know who wants to help change these things, please put them in touch with us. We are happy to support uh, state uh, Supreme Court judges, uh, states, uh, state legislators who want to fix some of these problems and get more help for consumers of legal services. And again, it's responsivelaw.org. They're a great group, people. I've been working with you, Tom, for more years than I care to think about, but um, but I respect what you do and the way that you all are, are trying to make the world a better, easier place for consumers and give them the things that they need. I mean, God, the world's confusing enough as it is. Um, and consumers sometimes get the short end of the stick so, I mean, call for action can only go so far, and sometimes people need uh, need to to get a lawyer or to a, a paralegal qualified in their area of expertise, because we're certainly not lawyers and don't claim to be at call for action. But at any rate, you all have been around for quite a while, Tom, and I know that you're you're very interested and involved in keeping your eye on what's happening, and we're just glad that you're out there fighting for us. So you got a few seconds. What do you got to say to our consumers? Get in touch, right? Absolutely. Get in touch uh, and <clears throat> keep an eye on what's going on in your state. Um, these are policies that are made by largely by bars and courts, um, not by the legislature. So they're even further removed from most citizens than uh, 
in a lot of the political things that affect your yeah. life. And we are going to make sure that you, if you uh, get in touch with us, we'll make sure you keep informed as well. We'll inform you about what's going on in your area. Perfect, perfect closing words, Tom. Thank you so much for being with us. You've been listening to Of Consuming Interest right here in the Federal News Network. My guest has been Tom Gordon, who's the Executive Director of Responsive Law, which is a nonprofit organization. I highly recommend it, responsivelaw.org. Um, this is Shirley Rooker, and we thank you for joining us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.